but I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7. So you want to turn there before I read. Both Matthew and Luke close out uh, the Sermon on the Mount with this same passage, this same warning, the same exhortation. Uh, but Matthew actually provides a little more information. Luke is a little more condensed. And uh, Matthew supplies a little more information. So we're going to conclude Luke chapter 6 by wrapping up Matthew chapter 7, if you can make sense of that. So that's where we'll be. Reading from Matthew 7, verse 21. This is immediately after Jesus' warning against false teachers that we studied last week, the wolves in sheep's clothing, uh, immediately after his parable parable assuring, we will know them by their fruits. It will be the fruit of their lips, what they say, their doctrine. You will know those who belong to him. And next, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine, says Jesus, and does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and mighty was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Repeatedly, we're seeing through Luke as well that he taught with authority differently than all their other scribes they had been used to listening to. Sometimes people ask me, you know, do you believe in lordship salvation? Well, you tell me what this verse says from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart uh, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved, right? There's no question salvation requires that we confess Jesus as Lord from a believing heart. Through a regenerate heart. So yes, in that regard, I believe salvation requires that we embrace Christ as Lord. That doesn't mean that we're never going to stumble, we're never going to sin. That would contradict other portions of Scripture. But yes, we are to make Him our Lord. And, And thankfully, Scripture interprets Scripture as it always does. And our passage today insists that a confession of Christ as Lord cannot merely be lip service. Can't merely be lip service. Um, Verses 21 through verse 23 are unmistakable. Not everyone who calls Christ Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven. There exist people who call themselves Christian, identify themselves as Christian. They would fill it out on the form. Yes, check themselves off as Christian. They put on a convincing act. Look at some of these that Jesus 
uh, refers to here. Some claim they are prophesying. That means speaking for God. Not predicting the future necessarily. Speaking for God. Others claim to wage spiritual warfare. Still more insist that they've all also accomplished miracles. All in His name. All in Jesus' name. I have a distant relative. She's, she's passed now. But uh, she was with a, a group out in Texas. And when the Dalai Lama came to tour the United States uh, many, many years ago, they, they got it into their head that as he visited place to place in natural uh, wonders of the U.S., the big rivers and other locations that he was going, and he was placing demons in these rivers and such. And, and so their church decided they were going to follow him around point to point at somewhat of a distance, and then when they got to the rivers, they were going to cast those demons out that they supposed were there. I mean, they were, she described how they were casting out demons in Jesus' name and how do you even know they're there? How do you, how do you come to that conclusion? You know, as with, uh, with uh, the Dalai Lama, that being a branch of Buddhism. So sure, they, they said they were doing it in Jesus' name. Um, not everyone who professes Christ as Lord is going to enter heaven. We don't know the heart, but God does. And Jesus doesn't even really acknowledge these miracle workers as workers of miracles. He said that they said they did miracles. What does he call them? Yeah, workers of iniquity, right? Those who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. That, that's how he sees them. Uh, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not that he knew them and then kind of forgot about it. No, I, I never knew you, says Christ. We want to be somewhat cautious, folks, as we declare certain things that we do and other things as being the work of, of the Holy Spirit. That you really know that it's the work of the Holy Spirit, not something that we've drummed up or made up or fabricated in our heads. They need to be genuine as we do God's work and those works. Because it's, it's not exclusively the he's or, or the she's who, who claim Christ that belong to Him. It's those who Christ claims that belong to Him. The ones that He declares belong to Him. Uh, folks, there's no shortage of imposters or, or actors or thespians in the modern church. There's plenty to go around. Uh, Jesus describes the false professors as being many. Many will say to me in that day. Uh, so we want to be certain ourselves that we belong to Him as Christians. So Scripture provides distinctives of those who truly are, truly are Christians. They've made Christ their Lord. They truly have made Him their Lord. Verse 21, it says, They do the will of my Father who is in heaven. The ones who do the will of the Father, the ones who obey. And then notice the first word in verse 24 when you look at it. In most of your English translations, not all but most, therefore is the first word. That means when Jesus makes His statement in verse 24, He's looking back and explaining His previous statement. That's what is there for, to explain the previous statement. Therefore, we see in verse 24, in order to obey the will of the Father, you must hear the words of the Son. And you must act on them. That is the distinctive of someone who has made Christ their Lord. 
Jesus here, folks, he's not describing a shallow confession on a whim. That's not what Jesus is describing as true faith. Um, Christians hear his words. We execute his words in our lives. We obey his words. James 1 verse 22. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not hearers only, right? Meshes perfectly with what Jesus said. If we do not achieve any level of obedience, no level of obedience at all, James would say, folks, we're delusional. We're delusional if there is no obedience. This this modern art that we have today, the the modern art of easy believism, easy believism, uh, that's characterized by inviting people to receive Christ as their Lord without any form of repentance or obedience. Just make Jesus your Lord. That's a a phenomenon we see uh, so often today. Make Him your Lord without acknowledging your sin or making a repentive act at turning from sin uh, and, and no genuine obedience, folks. That's the epitome of false religion. According to Jesus. That's what Jesus says. You profess Lord, Lord, Christ is Lord, and no obedience. He says that's false religion. False religion. After his resurrection, after Christ's resurrection now, and before his ascension into heaven, Jesus was with his disciples, and they're, they're beside the sea, sea of Tiberias. And in Luke 24, verse 45, we read this. Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That was, that was kind of Him. God does that for us, folks. He, opens their mind, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, and that would be beginning in Jerusalem. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. Now, does that mean that that repentance in itself is is a meritus work of ours, something that we drum up and, and we concoct and come up with before receiving salvation as a gift say no no that's not what it means repentance also is a gift of god you find that in acts chapter 11 verse 18 peter proclaims when he's speaking to cornelius in his household that god has granted to the gentiles also the repentance unto life so god grants it god grants repentance because why why does he do that because None of us seeks for God, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. None of us seeks for God, not even one. Pretty exclusive statement there. No one is seeking God. God the Holy Spirit, we are told, convicts of sin. You'll find that in John chapter 16, verse 8. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, why does He convict us of sin? You look, of that, look there in John chapter 16, verse 8, in the context there, and it says the reason the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin is because they do not believe in Jesus. 
That's the reason the Holy Spirit has this ministry. The Holy Spirit's ministry of conviction is to accomplish belief. Then at some point after conviction, and at the hearing of the gospel, God the Father grants repentance. And then, as he did with Lydia, he opens the heart to respond to the gospel. You can find that in Acts chapter 16 and 14. Well, you could even add in there the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. As he is given to us as an earnest a deposit on all the blessings that we're going to have in heaven. So all of this ministry of God and this calling, this work, this whole calling together of God is always effectual. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, his Father who sent Him. And then He explains it. This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all He has given to me, I lose nothing, Jesus says. But I will raise it up on the last day. That's obviously sovereign will in that point there. It's not God just wants. He wills it. And, and the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the heart, it's a work of God. It includes uh, the, the repentance that is, that is granted by God. A person can't be saved without repentance, and a person cannot repent without being saved. You're just sorry. You're just sorry for yourself. True repentance is a turning to serve the living God. Unbelievers can't do that. Unbelievers cannot do that without a regenerated heart. And if they had a regenerated heart, then they would be believers. From what I can observe, the conviction of sin the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of sin can occur over a period of time. But it is unto belief. That's the purpose of the conviction of sin in that ministry. That might occur over a period of time. But Charles Ryrie has said, the old, uh, he's passed away now, but he was a theologian at Dallas Seminary. He has said that, that repentance and faith act like uh, two sides of the same coin, heads and tails. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. You can't possess one or the other. They work together. And the reason that I bring this all up, you're wondering, why did I go there? The reason is because all true Christians, all genuine Christians, are regenerate. They are born again, right? And all regenerated hearts will repent, or do repent. All regenerated hearts do repent, and they act on the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying here in His statement. We are new creatures, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We are a new creation unto God who will incrementally and increasingly through our lives obey Him. We will obey Him. We, we are anew. We, were, we are reborn. We, we, are, uh, we have rivers of living water coming up out of us, and we will live our lives for Him. Increasing, obedi- increasing obedience. Folks, God didn't do all this work, all this divine work of the Holy Spirit and the regenerating power that He has and, and the repentance and the salvation. He didn't do all that for nothing.
It's not for no good reason. Folks, that would imply, in a sense, that, that the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us is going to fail if, if there's no obedience and there's no, uh, no holiness in our lives. God can't fail. And, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, this would be in verses 1 through 3, assures us that He won't fail. The Apostle Paul writes, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, he says, he says, you excel still a more. For you know what commandments we gave to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Folks, your sanctification is God's will. That, that, that's, that's an outflowing of the Holy Spirit. If He wills it, He'll accomplish it. It's a re, it's, folks, it's the reason He saved us. Romans 8, 29. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Right? That's the whole reason that He saved us, is to be conformed to Christ. What would be the point of salvation and all the divine work? All Christians will be obeyers. All will be builders. This is what Matthew 7 teaches. For if we are not both obeyers and builders, then we don't belong to Him. We're just crying out, Lord, Lord, and we're going along with our life, not obeying. At spiritual rebirth, folks, when we're born again, we're not stillborn. We are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, verse 5, God has made us alive together with Christ. That's the whole point of salvation, to be made alive to God. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's Ephesians chapter 2 again. His Spirit compels us to holiness, compels us to obedience, and enables us to war with the flesh. To fight against the flesh. The sin that that so easily entangles us, right? You're empowered to fight that. The notion of a Christian who would would belong to, to, to God, to belong to Christ, who doesn't to some level grow in obedience or, or sanctification... That's represented in this passage as an unbeliever. We are obeyers. We will build. Everyone to some level as empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, we need to grab onto that. We need to grab onto that notion that we are builders. We are builders. Uh, we are wise men. That's verse 24. We're wise men. We're not the foolish men. That's verse 26. We're not foolish. We, uh, we build on a foundation, right? Who doesn't? 
I mean, who here has ever put up any kind of building on a farm or anywhere and you didn't put down a foundation to hold it up? How crazy would that be, huh? I remember back north growing up on the farm where it would, the ground would freeze and, and heave so much in the wintertime. I mean, the way the ground moves up there is just devastating to, to structures. And, and boy, you didn't put your money into a building without making sure that foundation was right. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. The, the, the building has no worth if there's not a foundation under it. The foolish man, by comparison... That indicates an unbeliever. Jesus says, depart from me. The foolish man, by comparison, may build. He'll build. He's calling Jesus Lord, Lord. He'll build. No foundation. No foundation. This is the one thing that I saw that Luke helped clarify in this in in Luke chapter 6 when you look back that, that Matthew didn't have. Luke indicates that the unwise builder, the foolish builder, didn't use a foundation. He just built upon the sand. No foundation. Folks, there is no other foundation than Christ. He is the one foundation. He is the church's one foundation, as we sang earlier. That's it. Luke 6, verse 49 says, A foolish man builds a house on the ground without any foundation. (laughs) Why no foundation? Because he heard Jesus, he heard the words of Jesus, he even called Jesus Lord, and, but he didn't obey. Did not obey. Didn't build on the words of Jesus. And folks, when the storm comes, and the winds blow, and they howl, and the floods come in, mighty is the fall. Mighty is the fall. Both, as you look at this, profess to build, and we realize this isn't a literal house, right? It's not wood, uh, a wood structure or a steel structure. They both build spiritual houses. They're both calling Christ Lord. They're both building spiritual houses. Both profess to know Christ as Lord. But only one, the wise builder, builds on the foundation of Christ's words, which are set upon the immovable rock of Christ, Right? From our scripture reading earlier, as I read to you, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. Those who came later, right? But each man must be careful how he builds on it. That means constructing the spiritual house. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which was laid, Paul says, which is Jesus Christ. That's it. No other foundation. No matter what you think you're building on, if you aren't building on the words of Christ, no foundation. If we think we're building a spiritual house that will stand in the day of judgment, in that day, then it must not be founded merely on on some select words, Jesus says, has to also be built on obedience to Him as well. So many churches, folks, they're built around select or chosen words of Jesus. 
certain words of Jesus, not all words of Jesus. They're built without a call to obedience to Jesus. Not declaring a new life, a righteous life, increasing incrementally, day after day, year after year. Uh, Such churches will cry in that day. They'll be, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do all of these just, just marvelous things? All in your name. You'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Notice the difference between the two spiritual houses. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, notice the action on it, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not act on them will be like a foolish man built, who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That's the day of judgment. Mighty was the fall. The differences here. Just note the differences between the wise and the foolish builders. It's, it's not that they didn't both hear the words of Christ. They, they did. They both heard the words of Christ. The difference is not that they didn't both identify themselves as Christians. They both cried out, Lord, Lord. The difference isn't even that they didn't both build. Actually, they did both build, right? The difference is the wise man obeyed the, word of, obeyed the words of Christ That means the word of Christ, the whole breadth of Scripture, while the foolish man dismissed the word of Christ. Didn't obey. You know, folks, many people cry out, you know, I just just love Jesus. Lord, Lord. Yet you approach them with clear commands of Scripture. Not in a military sense, but you, you urge them with just clear commands of Scripture. They try to wiggle out of them. Dismiss them. Even apologize for what the Word of God says, right? You see that today? People apologizing, making excuses for God. Calls go out for no premarital sex, which is is fornication, right? You'll hear him reply. You know, that's too much to expect of this young generation. we, We can't ask them to do that, right? You ever heard that? Or the, the commands, such as no drunkenness or orgies or other things, and they say, oh, you, you know, you can't stop people from having fun. I've heard that before in liberal churches. Heard that growing up. Restricting, uh, putting restrictions or parameters on entertainment containing sex or violence. Oh, you know, there, there's nothing that you can watch nowadays that doesn't have that in it. You can't even watch TV if, if, without see, having some of that in it. Well, if that's the case, then chuck the thing. If that's truly the case, but it's made as an excuse, and, and besides, they would probably insist something like, you know, if I were to start preaching obedience or heeding Christ's words and, and, and a sanctified life increasing in holiness, as none of us is perfect today, right? 
No matter what point we're at in life, we're all striving to be, to be conformed to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But they, they'd say, you know, if we start preaching obedience, you know, repentance and denial of sin and, and turning away from that which is impure, man, they'd say that this whole stadium that we built, it might, it might clear out if people were, were told that. And then, and then if the place clears out because people don't want to hear about that, then, then how will they hear about how much Jesus loves them? See how that goes? Can't work together. Can't work together. The problem is, folks, in that situation, your Colosseum doesn't have any foundation. There's no foundation under it. Your body, which is your spiritual house that you've built, is sitting on sand. It's on sand. When there's never been a clear call to repentance and a response of obedience, there's no genuine salvation. That doesn't mean overnight we're suddenly glorified, right? Don't get me wrong here. But does your heart yearn to know Christ and to obey Him? Do you have that desire pent up inside of you? You've got to want to grow. You've got to desire. And God will honor that desire because it is His will, your sanctification. That's a prayer that you can pray, the will of God, that He'll answer. Lord, I want to be more Christ-like. I want to resist those things that I haven't been resisting. And He'll answer that prayer. And He has the Holy Spirit indwelling you as a Christian to strengthen you in that prayer. There's no foundation, there's no repentance and no obedience. The house is just sitting on sand. And when the floods of judgment come, according to Matthew chapter 7, when those floods come and the winds howl and the waves crash, all those people professing, oh Lord, Lord, that's not going to do them any good. It's not going to do them any good. It'll be too late. And when you enter a church that is selective or dismissive of God's Word, that means they don't preach the whole counsel of God. They just kind of choose a little bit here and a little bit there that, that doesn't stir anything up too much. When, when you enter that type of church, and one that not only tolerates sin, but sometimes nurtures it in a permissive manner, you know what I'm speaking of, nurtures the unsanctified life not devoted to obedience, you've entered a spiritual house without any foundation. There's no foundation. Folks, for the, for the sake of your family, if that's the case, if that's genuinely the case and you can sense it, get out. That house is going to fall. That's going to fall. Doesn't matter how great the music is. It's going to fall. The organization, whatever it may be, might have built that church on something else other than the foundation of Christ, because there is only one foundation. They might think they have a foundation. It could have been built on a charismatic, attractive personality. People are often drawn to churches because of the magnetism of the celebrity of a preacher. A leadership team might have built their church on the quality of the entertainment, the production of the show, so to speak. 
Even unregenerate people are drawn to a good show. Everybody's drawn to a great spiritual experience. They're not as easily drawn to personal repentance and holiness and obedience to God's word. People aren't, the unregenerate people are not drawn to that. We are. How could you know? How could you know? If you're visiting here today from out of state and you're going home tomorrow or whatever, whatever you're going to do, how would you know? Folks, I think most of us instinctively know if we'll acknowledge it. I think we know. But you could ask yourself this question. If the celebrity left, and if the entertainment, if the switch was turned off, and the, pre, the word of God was the only thing there, would people stay? Would they stay? Usually Christians identify obedience. We do as Christians. This is often, often from us more in the conservative bent. Grace-filled, trust me, for visiting today, we're grace-filled. But if Christians or those of us who identify ourselves as, as more the conservative bent, uh, we always look at disobedience as uh, carnal immorality. You know, the, the worst of the worst stuff. We, we quickly rail against that, right? We can pick those out, and usually it doesn't touch us. If you can go into gross sexual immorality, you know, that's, that's a good few yards away from me you know i i can i can lash out at that won't won't nip me back at all so we like to we like to go after that stuff lets us off the hook but an obedient life not only includes putting away sin it includes dying to serving self and living to build christ's spiritual house being a builder because the point of this passage isn't only the one foundation there is one foundation, that's it. Christ and, Christ and his apostles have established that foundation, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, right? The church is built, it's on the, on, the, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself the chief cornerstone. So the foundation was laid before the close of the first century. Who's doing all the building? Who's called to do the building? We don't have time to get deeply into that, but, but when it came to the building itself, Paul modeled himself as a wise master builder. Wise master builder. Uh, knowledge, folks, that is not sufficient to save. Knowledge alone is not sufficient to save. Hearers only delude themselves. They delude themselves. Any knowledge about Christ has to, in some way, turn into obedience of Christ. One without the other, it's just knowledge. It's just knowledge. Today, there's a quest for knowledge. Oh boy, is there a quest for knowledge today. Didn't run into, uh, not that they didn't have the same passion for knowledge in, in the first century churches or the first 500 years or 1,000 years or 1,500 years before the printing press. They had the same passion for knowledge. But they didn't have the resources we have. In this day and age, we've got so much knowledge and usually, as we get more and more and deeply ingrained in, in acquiring that knowledge, as that's happened, we've, we've run into a dearth on building. Everybody knows more, but no studs are getting put up. 
No windows are getting hung. No shingles are getting nailed. Everybody knows a lot because we've got more study Bibles and, and concordances and, and uh, uh, audio tapes and videos and, and more lessons to learn and learn and learn and learn. Everybody's so busy learning, which is good. Everybody's so busy learning, nobody's picked up a hammer. What is that? If you've got knowledge, you know who Jesus is, but no obedience and no building. That's Lord, Lord. Didn't we learn a whole bunch of things in your name? Got to balance things. Got to balance things. Um, when, the, when there's a quest for knowledge, the church often sees a decrease in building. Because people, people equate the mere acquisition of knowledge as obedience. They say, well, that's obedience. It's not being described here. It is obeying to grow in in the word of the Lord. And we need to pay close attention to it and do that. But that isn't what Jesus suggests here. And and it's not what James suggests when he says, Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead, right? James chapter 2, you can find that. No, obedience to Christ is implementing the knowledge that you have gathered. Implementing the knowledge. Not merely acquiring it. 1 Corinthians 3 and Matthew 25, if you look there, says Christians are going to be rewarded by Christ when He comes on that day, not according to their level of knowledge, They're going to be uh, rewarded according to their level of obedience. Knowledge applied. Both are good, but knowledge has to be applied. Yet you have to have the right foundation, but eventually that needs to translate into some building. Pastors are given for the equipping of the saints for the works of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, right? It's for building, the spiritual building, the people. Building up, multiplying, uh, edifying and multiplying, like we've said before. Edifying one another and multiplying the disciples uh, of Christ through the Great Commission going out. So I'd ask this then. You can evaluate yourself on this. None of us really is a great evaluator of others, but we can evaluate ourselves if we have the Holy Spirit. On a scale from 1 to 10, on a scale from 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself in obedience to the one that you call Lord, Lord? Not knowledge, but obedience. And not including the whole Bible, which is the word of Christ, but just looking at the Sermon on the Mount now, Matthew's chapter 5 through 7. So you can look at this later on, and then this would include any commands of Christ uh, or the apostles in the New Testament, especially the Old Testament when applied accurately. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Remember we studied through that? Are you merciful? Scale from 1 to 10. Do you, do you ever visit the sick? The sick, sick amongst us. The hospitalized. Jesus says in Matthew 25, when I was sick, you visited me. And is referring to himself as his body, the body of Christ. In the context of Matthew 25, he's rewarding his servants for ministering to his own body, which, which is us, right? Ministry to one another. When I was sick, you visited me. 
Um, have you ever considered sending an acknowledgement to someone? Special phone call, a note. Some sort of uh, uh, condolences when they have a family member who passed away. You, you know, you could respond and say, well, you know, nobody's ever sent me a card. Okay, you be the first. Be the first. You'd be surprised how that catches on. We're pretty good about this, but you'd be surprised. A person who is saying, you know what, I'm going to send cards and, and love and recognition to others without needing recompense, because a lot of times it won't come back right away, but they'll do it once and twice and a third time, and eventually that stuff starts coming around to where everybody's on fire. Visiting one another, making a meal for one another when, they're, when, they're hosp- when their family's hospitalized, and all these different things, and it catches fire. We don't do it to, to reciprocate. It's nice being reciprocated, right? But even if it isn't reciprocated to you, at least you've obeyed. But the odds are it will eventually reciprocate, um, especially in things like the meal train and other things. Taking care of one another, ministering to one another. Get on the meal train. Choo choo. There's Cheryl back there. Do a choo choo to everybody. See Cheryl Alberino back there. She, she runs the meal train. She's a conductor. That type of stuff. Not just, you know, use your imaginations. Are you the salt of the earth and the light of the world? As Christ says in his Sermon on the Mount. Do you witness? Do you obey? 1 Corinthians 3, that those precious stones that are being built up. Um, those are people who have been added uh, to the foundation. It's God's spiritual house. Everybody agrees Christians should witness. Are they doing it? Do you actually do it? Jesus would say, Why have you heard these words of mine and you don't act on them? Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Pray for the enemies who persecute you. Do you pray? Do you pray alone? Do you pray corporately as we come together, um, not only on on mornings like today, but... uh, Home groups, prayer home groups coming up this Wednesday where we pray more intimately so, we, so we're able to share one another's burdens and find out who is in the hospital. It's hard to respond if you don't know someone's in the hospital, right? Do you pray? Do you heed God's words to pray? Jesus said, don't store up for your treasure, yourself treasures on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. Do the ministries of God have value to you? Teaching, preaching, um, uh, corporate worship. Children's ministries. Is youth summer camp more valuable than all that junk piled up in your garage? Well, if so, haul it in here. We're going to get rid of it in the youth, youth yard sale. They don't buy it again. i got some junk I should get rid of too. Summer camp, is that more important than that thing you haven't used for three to five years? Um, folks, you're intelligent. You, you get the picture. You, you can apply this to self. Uh, you can read for yourself the Sermon on the Mount and all of Scripture. Read all the words of Christ, all the words of His apostles. They're not these, these aren't my words. They're not my words. Um, they're the Lord's commands. And His commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. They also don't require an MDiv or Master of Divinity to understand. They're straightforward. They're straightforward. So I'm going to leave you with this final question before we transition here into uh, the Lord's Supper. When you see Christ, are you going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Ask yourself this. Or are you going to cry, Lord, Lord? There's another command of Jesus we can only obey 
together corporately. Jesus said in John's, John chapter 13, verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Our love is manifest and displayed in unity of the body and harmony. In fact, it is interesting that Jesus made that statement shortly after establishing the Lord's Supper communion through passing the bread and the cup to his disciples. So I'm going to ask the men to come forward now and prepare for the Lord's Supper. In the hymn, The Church is One Foundation, author Samuel John Stone writes these words, Elect from every nation, yet one over all the earth. Her charter of salvation, speaking of the church, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes of one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Samuel John Stone recognized the Lord's Supper as with the disciples draws us nearer to Christ and nearer to one another. We all partake together of one holy food, a, a food we take in harmony together, the body and blood of Christ that was given to us given for us. The Apostle Paul insists the Lord's Supper, it's not merely having our stomachs filled. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, you can achieve that at home. It's not merely having your stomachs filled. The Lord's Supper is a meal of remembrance. It is a memorial of what Christ did for all of us together as a church. It's also a time to examine ourselves, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, as to not eat in an unworthy manner. The unworthy manner that the church in Corinth ate was in disunity. They were withdrawing from one another, as you read in 1 Corinthians 11. They were eating before some would even get there. They'd been there so long, some of them had even gotten drunk. It was disunity and disharmony, separation from one another. It was, it was sectarian, sectarianism. Uh, Paul says there are factions among you. You're divided. That's not what communion's for. That's not what the Lord's Supper's for. But we're here to examine ourselves on everything, everything that we have in our lives, and are we even to test ourselves as to whether we're even in the faith. With this passage in mind today, it's fitting to ask ourselves, as I need to ask myself, trust me, same questions, do we bear the marks of obedience? Are we one in Christ Jesus, one Lord, one faith, one birth, or are we giving lip service?